You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Nothing quite like out of control technical difficulties to start the program. Our streaming service, uh, for those who tune into the live show, our streaming service that we use is usually very, very reliable. And for some reason today, I guess they had some sort of, um, I don't know, broadband issues. Apparently today, like, is like, I don't know, is it podcast day, John? Is it is it streaming day? I don't, I don't know. You know what it is, dude? I think there might have been some structure issues. You know, we think that something's a done deal, right? And then there's kind of a curveball that gets thrown in there. It might be structural. And now it, it, it just, it's meant to be, you know, you, we, all, you, we always find a solution. You're good. You, you're good. I love how you, I love how you play on the words. I'm Anthony Kazenza. He's John Sheeran. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Thanks for those tuning in live for hanging out and waiting on us a little bit. It really truly wasn't our fault this time. We were not running late it was uh out of our hands but hey we're streaming now we are getting you the show now and it's one of the most exciting times we thought last year in the super bowl run was exciting enough here they are following that up the Bengals are with a number of different moves we're going to break that down tell you and show you a little bit as to where the Bengals are at financially what may be ahead for them moves wise we've got a little bit of a state your case slash conspiracy. Uh, we've got, uh, we're going to take a look at the Bengals opponents and kind of see where they are after the first handful of days of free agency. So this has been a wild free agency period, a lot of trades, a lot of moves, etc. And so now we're going to take inventory of that. We're going to bring you a little bit of remember when, and then we are gonna drop the mic and get out of here but that's way down the road john how's your how's your week been have you been able to catch up with everything that the Bengals are doing they've been kind of running it back for the most part at this point and then some in free agency it's the great thing about the offseason man because we had four weeks of nothing really and then we will have probably four months of also nothing but the last time we spoke you know deshaun watson was uh still a houston texan um tyreek hill was still a kansas city chief a lot of things can change in a week, and the Bengals' offensive line definitely did also change as well in that time. Yeah, Devonte Adams a pa- uh, was a Packer at the time, yeah. and I mean, all kind co- just wackiness all over the place, and a lot of big money being spent, and a lot of big money being spent by the Cincinnati Bengals. We we've done a lot of rundowns as to where the Bengals are at, John. Really, the big 
personnel losses in terms of actual true role players that, that played significant roles, at least off the top of my head. You're looking at CJ Uzama. The Bengals replaced him with Hayden Hurst. And then you're looking at Larry Ogunjobi, who signed a big deal to leave and go to the Bears, failed his physical, and now he's kind of back in the picture a little bit for the Bengals, potentially, on even a, a more team-friendly deal based on that failed physical. You know, they're going to they're gonna lean on that piece of news if that does come to fruition. But, I mean, there are some others, but the Bengals, for the most part, have really hung on to key special teams, offense, and defensive players, and oh, by the way, really made some splashes in outside free agency. Pretty much. I mean, last time we talked, they brought back the Michael Thomases, they brought back Brandon Allen, but since then, they brought back Trent Irwin, they brought back mm-hmm. Stanley Morgan Jr. Um, that has been a whole conversation, like, are they going to tender Morgan because he was a restricted free agent, but that would have cost them about $2.5 They decided to let him hit free agency, but he always had a plan of coming back to Cincinnati. Now he's here for a two-year deal, which should lower what his cap hit is, and they did something similar to Josh Chupo as well. I believe he was also a free agent. They signed him to a two-year deal. And Hayden Hurst was signed, I think, the day that Lel Collins was released. And then about four days of Lel being in Cincinnati, whether it be the stadium or a, a mall, um, he ended up becoming <laughs> a Bengal. Crate, the, the whole, should we give people like a timeline of like the entire Collins situation? Do, 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 do you think that's warranted? Yeah, I, I do. And I'll I'll just start with this because you're a lot more plugged into it, I guess, than I am uh, if for, for a couple of reasons. But I will say this, just from a stand back and look at the entire situation standpoint, we as fans and we that cover the team, we're clamoring, hey, make a trade for a low pick, take on the contract that you get and get the player. How it worked out, John contract wise, et cetera, the Bengals got the player that they wanted and they didn't have to give up the draft capital. And that is kind of the beauty of it. And that's why we kind of all have a little bit of egg on our face because we were (laughs) kind of yelling at him, like, just give up some picks, give up, give up late round picks that usually don't net you anything. Give up some of those picks to get this guy. That'll change your franchise. They stood pat. They let Dallas release him and then they let Collins hit free agency and then they wouldn't let him leave. So that to me is kind of the beauty of the entire deal. But yeah, a timeline, if you would like, including the Joe Burrow recruitment efforts, uh, let's let's do it. Yeah, this is why I believe that if every fan was a GM, they would all be Trent Baalke and just throwing out (laughs) millions and millions and sacrificing anything to to make the roster somewhat better. So let's go all the way back to 2020. Lil Collins is a hip injury, has surgery before he misses the entire year. But before that, he was a solid starter for like five or six years at both left guard, right tackle. 2021, he's bribing his whoever is supposed to drug test him uh, for his marijuana tests, and he gets suspended because he gets caught with that. But nobody cares. He's just smoking weed. So he misses like seven-ish games, but he's still a good player. In the time that he was out, Terrence Steele, who's like a second or third year player, he plays pretty well in his stead at right tackle. The Now... The guaranteed salary in Lel's deal is voided because he was suspended. So they're looking at Lel's contract. They can get out of it. They can save cap room, which is their whole thing because they were t- mm-hmm. tied against the cap because they paid their second best running back $100 million. So they're looking at Steele as a guy who can replace Collins for a lot less, which is why he was on the trade block in the first place. And that, that whole thing was, oh, he's available for trade. He's got a very easy contract to trade for and to absorb. And he's a quality player. Let's go ahead and trade him pick 30 for 31 or maybe a second round pick. But that never materialized because, again, 
if the whole thing was that Lel was likely to be released, then the value that the demand for him was not going to be what Dallas wanted. And Dallas wasn't really going to um, trade Lel for anything less than like somewhat of a premium pick because it would cost a lot of money to trade him and it wouldn't really save them a lot against the cap. So like most of us speculated, they did end up releasing him with post U one status, which saved them the most cap space immediately. This is what the Bengals were banking on because they had every single possible connection to Lyle Collins from his agent to his former offensive line coach, who's now the Bengals offensive line coach, to Willie Anderson vouching for him. So they immediately pounced on him and got him a visit scheduled, I believe, St. Patrick's Day, the day that he was released. So he flew into town either Thursday night or Friday morning. So he wasn't able to visit with the team Thursday night, but he spent the entire day Friday in Cincinnati, including going over to Joe Burrow's residence and hanging with him, Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, maybe Joe Mixon as, or as, as well. There's just a lot of people there just you know, just chilling, just vibing with him, whatnot. His agent and the Bengals were working on a deal. It was reported Friday night that a deal was imminent. It was very close to getting done. Malik Wright even tweeted that it was, all that was left was the physical, which is which could have been a herald because he had that hip injury and whatnot. And then we hear nothing, like radio silence on Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, you know, what's going on? We probably should have heard something by now. Then there was a report from a Miami reporter that said that Lael had left Cincinnati without a deal. And everyone starts freaking out. Even Malik is saying, oh, that's probably not good. Maybe like an hour goes by. People are panicking, you know, riding in Cincinnati or whatnot. And some guy named John is in Lululemon in Kenwood Mall. And he sees Lael with a mask on, just chilling, just shopping. And he posts a picture on Twitter and said, no, he's not gone. He's right here. He's in Kenwood. He's just, he's just chilling out. And then everyone loses their minds. I'm assuming everyone in Kenwood on their phone is looking at where the, where the hell is this guy? And I, I saw him, a picture of like in front of Spencer's, in front of like the food court, like some someplace else. Everyone in Cincinnati is now flocking to Kenwood to try to, to, to get a look at Lael, but he's still in Cincinnati. And they're still trying to get the deal done. The visit is extended until Saturday, but still no deal. And then there was a report from Mike Garofolo saying that he has now left Cincinnati and there's another apparent visit scheduled. <sighs> Let's take a breath. The issue with the contract was, according to Willie Anderson and a bunch of other people that I've talked with about this, was that there was issues with the language of the deal. Not necessarily the total money, mm-hmm. not the guaranteed money or anything. Mm-hmm. But we, we still don't have the contract details. But in all likelihood, this involves per-game roster bonuses. Likely, because he has a history of missing games in the past few years, they upped his per-game roster bonuses, maybe lowered his base salary. Obviously, if you're Lel's agent, you want as much base salary as possible if you're not going to get guaranteed money. So a lot of incentives, things that apparently was causing the friction here. And everyone assumed at this point that Lel did leave town. He had another visit scheduled. More radio sounds on Sunday. He never left town in the first place. Peter Schaefer, who is Joe Mixon's agent, who is Adam Jones's agent, they continued to work it out with the Bengals. And then I think 4.30 Sunday afternoon, Mike Garofolo reported that the deal was being finalized. So whole weekend of ups ups and downs with the Bengals and their fans but they got a high quality right tackle for three years I think about 10 million per year we don't know the exact details yet but what a ride man what a ride what a ride great breakdown and yeah here's kind of just an article on Cincy Jungle we shared this here um and, and essentially it is a three-year deal but I think that third year can be can be voidable um and it, there's kind of some some stuff with that so it makes it it spreads out the cap hit and all that kind of stuff but um yeah i mean truly one of the biggest free agent acquisitions outside free agent acquisitions in Bengals history a guy who should come in and be 
a borderline, if not truly dominant force on that offensive line. And so you look at it, I, I mentioned this yesterday, you look at it, you've got Jonah entering um, his, his pivotal fourth year there. You've got a, a questionable situation at left guard, but you're probably going to let the young guns duke it out in terms of Deontay Smith, Jackson Carmen, et cetera. Now you've got Karras at center. You've got Kappa at right guard and you've got Collins at right tackle and those areas that were just problems last year, center, right guard, and and at the end of the season, right tackle have really on paper been solidified and this line now becomes highly upgraded. I'm just looking around the rest of the league and I know it's very, it's obviously very easy to say, hey, they are one more solid player from being completely liability free at offensive line, which they weren't even that in 2015 because they still have Russell Bodine at center. It's not, it's very rare for any offensive line to not have at least mm-hmm. one unknown entering the year. Like I just went through, I think half the league earlier today. The only two that I can definitively say have no weak points is probably the chiefs and the lions, which is a, quite the dichotomy between those two. Teams. Right. But right. Like, like the Browns, the Broncos, the Ravens, the Falcons, they all have solid offensive lines, like the Packers, the Cowboys, the Colts, like they're all quality, at least average offensive lines, but every single one of them, has at least one either weak spot or a player playing a position that you don't know if he's going to be good this year because there's just a limited sample size. And that's what the Bengals have at guard right now. And I know, like again, like J.C. Treader's out there. They could feasibly sign him to play center, move Ted Karras to left guard, and that's all fine and dandy. But it, it, it makes sense where they're at because this is just the reality with the position group and just the NFL. There's not enough quality offensive linemen. And eventually, Anthony... Like you can problem solve with free agency all you want, but you eventually have to balance that with developing your draft picks because you, you're not going to have unlimited money forever. And you have to eventually see what these guys end up becoming. So if they have four quality starters surrounding left guard and they're going to duke it out with either Jackson Carmen, Deontay Smith, or whoever they want there, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad... It's not like accepting less than what you could, even though you could sign another veteran out there. Like... Most of these offensive lines, they're going to have at least one question mark, and you have to see what those question marks turn into at some point. The thing with the the offensive line and these three major acquisitions to steady it this year, it's it's awesome, right? I mean, we sit here and we go, "Wow, great work!" Golf clap to to everybody in that in that front office, right? Especially the way that the Collins deal played out, wherein a trade could or we were clamoring, just trade somebody to get this guy. You got to get this guy. And they ended up not trading their picks and being able to hang on to those, which they value, and get Collins. So I, I want to reiterate that that is a, a very solid move by the front office. But you also look back, John, and when you talk about development versus free agency, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you look back at the first two years of the Zach Taylor era, namely the 2020 season when Joe Burrow got hurt, you go – you kind of say, you know, why couldn't you do not necessarily three in one off season, but why couldn't you get more of these one at a time or something like that? Imagine what things, how things could have been in the Super Bowl last year if, you know, they had more of these veterans and not developmental guys, not back end roster guys starting, starting, you know, in a in a major role in in the biggest game in an American sport. You know what I mean? It's like why. Why did 
two injuries have to occur and so many glaring deficiencies to make you go, okay, we got to get three quality starting offensive linemen this offseason instead of kind of chipping away at it a little bit and going from there. But I mean, I guess beggars can't be choosy. I mean, that's that's true because like it took a Super Bowl loss because of a bad offensive line to finally do what you need to do at offense line. And it's admitting that, yeah, you're not very good at this whole development development thing anymore at this position group. I mean, the position group got good in the, you know, the 2000s and the early 2010s because you were able to develop, but that, that time has passed and now you can't rely on it very much anymore. But that, I think that's why I thought like even three quality signings exceeded even my expectations. And Collins is not like the cherry on top. Like he is like, La creme, la creme, and he's arguably the most impactful and high quality free agent signing that this team has maybe ever had. And I was thinking, yeah. I was, I was honestly thinking about this. Like the past three years is the only like sample or the only you know examples or whatever. Like the only data set that we have, like quality free agents that have come to Cincinnati. There's a few here and there. We talked about Antoine Odom last week, but mostly it's all been in the past three years, and it's about 19 or so guys that have come from other teams around this time, like traditional free agency, like that that time of the year. So I made a list, and I asked this on Twitter. What is your top five, like, best free agent signings that the Bengals have made? Only using, like, your judgment at the time of the signing. So you can't include, like, what they've done as Bengals. I had the results, but I was going to ask you your top five, just free agent signings, your thoughts at the time of the signing. So I, I don't... It's so hard because I, I can think of of quite a few, and um, you know there were some that came in and you felt like the impact was going to be huge, and it just wasn't. And it depends on you know what you're talking about. I assume you mean impactful overall, or you know just luster behind a name. I mean, I remember a few in the Marvin Lewis era. I mean, you could say James Harrison name wise and what he brought to the team, but statistically and scheme wise they did not use him the way that the Steelers used him so that impact was not felt um you know I I can go back and a guy that I felt was a really good free agent acquisition that started to turn things right away for the Marvin Lewis era and granted the defense statistically was not very good but he was a guy that was just kind of a ball hawk Torrey James if you remember that name the cornerback that uh the, the Bengals got from I believe it was the Raiders at the time came in and had a handful of good seasons um, you know, there's others that are that were trades. You know, you can think of Reggie Nelson and, and whatnot. But I mean, I think if you're looking in, in these last couple of seasons, Collins, we have to see what happens there. But that has to be just impact everything that has to be up there. DJ Reader has to definitely be up there. Um, you know, I, I felt like Waynes would have been one of the be- the biggest and money wise w- would have told you that. So, uh, you know, that was big at the time, but it never materialized. So if we're talking impact plus name, that list dwindles quite a bit. Um, but I, you know, I, I look back and I guess I, I, I say Tory James was a nice free agent signing. D- DJ Reader a couple of years ago was a, was a nice, very nice signing. Um, Von Bell's been a good one. You know, Von Bell's been a very good one. And and then you look at the offensive line additions this year. I mean, I know recency bias is a thing, and I try and look back there a little bit. But, you know, some of these guys that they attempted to get and and, and have big seasons for them, T.O., uh, you know, all these guys, it's just the, the impact wasn't as big as the name sometimes, unfortunately. Right. And, the, like, the basis of this experiment is, like, just – I think you said the right word, like luster, like 
at the time of the signing, like your initial thoughts, like like that's what I wanted to like quantify to see like where they ranked against every other free agent signing in the past about three years. And for for me, it's probably in no particular order, Lel Collins, DJ Reader, Mike Hilton, Von Bell, and I would probably even say Alex Kappa just because of the position and like the upgrade that he provides. And I pulled I think it ended up being around 150 people and I have the results in front of me. So the leading vote getter was low Collins, like 106 DJ reader had like 101 votes. They, they were the only two to crack hundred here. Mike Hilton third, just behind him, Trey Hendrickson fourth and just behind him, Von Bell at fifth. So like, I mean, you, you know, my thoughts on Hendrickson. I didn't think that he was going to be as good as he was. And I'm just going to say, I think some people may have lied here, assuming that Hendrickson was going to be this this particularly good. Um, but there was a lot of truth here as well. Trey Wayne's got like 24 votes. I'm I'm happy to see people are honest about that because of the hype that came into his signing. One vote for Xavier Suofilo. He got representation. One vote for Eli Apple. So appreciate your honesty there. Hayden Hurst gets five votes. Ted Karras gets 14. Riley Reef gets 20. So I think this this distribution is pretty accurate. And the consensus is, yeah, Lael and DJ Reader, because Reader was that first huge signing and he was a high-quality player coming from Texas, and Lael being a high-quality right tackle, fulfilling like their biggest need and just every emotion possible that came into that signing, I think he will go down as like like the most hyped free agent that the Bengals have ever acquired. And the likelihood that he passes the hype is, is very high because of who he is. There are some others, and I, I'm going in the way back machine. So maybe I, again, I, I don't know if the question was more centered around recent, and maybe it's just because they have done so much. It's just like the last three years, you know? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, last three years, then Tory James obviously doesn't, you know. Uh, he did a great job of listing everyone like before 2020, though. For right. Sure. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, so yeah, those are, those are all named Trey Hendrickson. I can't believe I didn't, I didn't think about that one, but. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of arguments to be to be made for all of those being the most impactful, and that's quite honestly, John. And I know the first two years of the Zach Taylor era were lackluster at best, but quite honestly, this I point to this. Obviously, yes, Joe Burrow and and drafting well at wide receiver and whatnot that's a big part of the equation. But I also point to this because the Bengals had flashy weapons for a long time and they could put up points and do different things, whether it was in the Carson Palmer era, where whether it was in the Andy Dalton era, they could get to the playoffs. And I think that that was a function of a, a handful of high quality draft classes, be it, you know, in different iterations of the Marvin Lewis era. But what was not there were the slew of outside talents that were brought in in free agency that gets you through and wins you playoff games, particularly when they are guys coming from championship teams, perennial playoff teams, teams that get through the postseason, like Hilton, Hendrickson, all these guys. And that's the stuff that builds your locker room. Yeah. I mean, they went out and signed all these guys because they lost that base. Like their their player base like dwindled dramatically in terms of talent once Marvin Lewis got fired. And now they have an amazing core of, of veteran players who are under contract for the next couple of years. And I think with Lael, it's interesting because not only is there's a lot of hype and impact surrounding him, he might be one of the 
the last external guys that we see this team go out and, and invest a ton in because now you're entering not only are are they better obviously from a roster standpoint but they're drafting better and they're bringing in guys who are going to be worth extensions here in a couple of years and that starts next year with both Joe Burrow and T Higgins up for extensions for the first time so like the cap is going to rise and they're always going to have space to to add a, a few guys but I do wonder if we see kind of a decrease in their activity outside of their own roster just because they have all these guys under contract now and now they can focus on extending some of their own guys which they haven't really done in, in the past couple of years yeah yeah rowdy every lap in the uh, live youtube chat thank you so much for the super chat there t higgins is the biggest beneficiary by the o-line upgrade because his deeper routes take longer to develop i saw a lot where joe burrow wanted to throw to him but he had to go to a check down because o-line was breaking down that's a good point however i still I guess being the old school traditionalist that I am, John, I still think, and nobody's really talking about it, it would seem. Everybody's talking about the wide receivers and Joe Burrow being the biggest beneficiary. What about Joe Mixon? I mean, Joe, Joe Mixon, think about the lines Joe Mixon has had to run behind in his career. <laughs> think about it as compared to this one. And he's coming off a career year, and now this is a totally rebuild offensive line. So, I mean, yes, Higgins, yes, Chase, obviously getting, you know, conceivably having more time in the pocket and all kinds of things, John and, and Burrow getting hit less, act less, all of that. Yes. But Joe Mixon for me. Yeah. I think it's just the thing with surrounding Burrow is that the less he gets hit and sacked, the better chance that they have of winning. And it's, it's hard to like pivot past that. But the, the fact that Mixon has been able to be productive behind just raggedy tagged offensive lines, it's been nothing short of incredible. And that production is naturally going to come easier. And if you have an easier time running the ball, you just have an easier time on offense in general. And that goes in hand in hand with just having clean pockets uh, time and time again. So everything just gets better. There's, there's no one here on the offense who doesn't benefit from having a good offensive line. And for so many years, they just, they just haven't been able to solve that problem and they just threw a lot of money at it and now everything should be a little bit easier for sure yeah another nice super chat from the positive universal universal project david g my goodness say that three times fast but uh given the upgrades do we still consider taking zion johnson or Kenyon green at 31 if either of them falls that far this is what the beauty is with the Bengals and what they have done in free agency john and what they like that top of the board Who's, who's top of the board? It could be one of these guys. I, they could still conceivably, depending on how their board falls, grab one of these guys. I, I, I tend to think need-wise corners still up there, depending on what they what they would do. And this is there's a few good corners in this class. So um, at, at any rate, uh, I don't know if you have more thoughts on that, but I, I still think it's going to be best available in terms of their board. No, we will definitely take a deeper dive into draft strategy as the draft gets closer. But I think my initial thoughts on this just in the past two years, because they've been at the top of the draft order. I think you could tell by the end of free agency, probably where they were going to go in the first round. I mean, Burrow was Burrow, but like was just how they handled last off season. And then receiver became this huge need because they didn't address it. They always, they sometimes tend to do that. They, they leave a position or two open for an impact player in the draft to eventually come. And, you know, conventional wisdom states that that is probably going to be on defense this time because they didn't sign another cornerback aside from Eli Apple. They haven't signed another defensive tackle aside from BJ Hill. But when you're you're all the way back at the 31st pick, that strategy becomes less strong because you have no idea 
what the board is going to look like for the first 30 picks. So 100% like Zion or Kenyon in, in that case could be the best player available. And that's, you know, that's never a bad strategy, but it, it's hard to project at this point, even if those guys are available, if they are going to pick them because you know, they still have some needs on the roster and most of them right now involve the defense. Right. And they have not pigeonholed themselves into taking those one of those two players. They would be nice additions, no doubt. We did a prospect preview on on Kenyon Green a little while ago. And I think the article is going to be going up on Cincy Jungle pretty soon as well. So check that out. But, you know, I mean, those are great players, but they have not pigeonholed themselves into taking someone who needs potential development or needs to, you know, kind of a desperation start because they were active in free agency. And that's a good thing. We're going to get to the uh, state your case, state your conspiracy in just a second. Before we do, want to remind everybody that you can, if you like what we do here on the Orange and Black Insider, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, the little icon at the bottom of the screen underneath the SB Nation logo. You can click that to subscribe and then click the bell to be notified when we go live and when new content is available. So be sure to do that if you like what we're doing. And of course, you can get this show and all shows on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel on every major audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the major ones. We are there. Give that a subscribe. And then you can also get notified when new shows are available for you. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, John, I'm going to give you the floor in just a sec here. Here we go. So I wanted to make a tinfoil hat for this, but I didn't have enough. (laughs) There's not a lot that we know about the Brown family. Like they are pretty private people. They like to keep themselves. They're pretty just ordinary people that just happen to own one of the 32 NFL franchises. One thing we do know, or can we can easily discern is that they do not like the Browns franchise, the organization for very obvious reasons, including Paul, but yeah, it's been 50 years of let's call it distaste, not necessarily throwing eggs at the stadium, but not wishing them goodwill, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. 
And in the past few years, they haven't had a lot of success against that team, too. So I, I think that this taste is naturally growing. What happened this past weekend has been... Uh, there, there's a lot of words for it. I like to use the word despicable, maybe. But what happened with the Browns this weekend in acquiring Deshaun Watson, I, I, I guess like a little rundown for that could, could help as well. Watson was down to four teams on his wish list. He eliminated the Browns first, but not because he didn't like the roster, not because he didn't like the team or the ownership. He didn't want to go to Cleveland because he's from the South and he didn't want to play in the North or in the cold or whatnot, maybe just in like the city in general. So he eliminated the Browns first. He eliminated the Panthers second because the Panthers didn't want to guarantee like the last couple of years of his proposed contract. The Browns got wind of this and said, hey, let's guarantee all five years of that deal. And all of a sudden the Browns are back in it. And then people thought that it was just the Saints and the Falcons who were left. And at least one of those teams, according to report, was willing to guarantee the entirety of the deal. So it wasn't just the Browns who were willing to be this desperate, but the Browns were the first to offer it. And Watson, again, was a fan of the Browns roster, was a fan of Stefanski in that meeting, and was a fan of like the GM and the ownership and whatnot. He basically said, okay, fine. If you want to guarantee this, this deal, let, let, let's work it out. And... I don't know if the Browns were the ones who um, came up with the idea of, of lowering his base salary this year so he can be suspended and only be cost a, a couple thousand dollars compared to the $230 million that he's going to for sure make no matter what. I don't know if that was David Mulligetta, his agent, doing, but whatever it was, it's the, it's the most sickening part of the whole ordeal because he's going to get suspended for probably very rightful reasons and he's not going to be cost basically anything for it and he's going to see 99.5 percent of that deal regardless i i think about the brown family in cincinnati and how that whole thing transpired the fact that the browns have like their best quarterback in 40 years a, a quarterback with 22 civil suits and allegations over his head still that remain unsolved he has got he's got like 19 uh depositions left to go to by the way he's not going to be introduced with the browns for a while how the whole thing went down and the fact that Mulligetta was the one who who likely helped him avoid um, losing a lot of money to suspension and getting him on that team that the Brown family hates, it honestly wouldn't shock me if the Brown family doesn't ever want to negotiate with David Mulligetta ever again. And Mulligetta is obviously the agent of Jesse Bates. He's also the agent of both T. Higgins and Joseph Asai. I'm not one to just say pettiness rules all, but just with how that whole thing went down and the fact that it does, doesn't look clean at all, it honestly wouldn't shock me if they just say, you know what, we're we're done like negotiating with Jesse Bates. We don't want anything to do with you. You helped out the franchise that we like the least, and you helped them give them a quarterback and a player who is just probably not a very good and law-abiding citizen. So honestly, it, it wouldn't shock me if negotiations with Bates just doesn't progress here, here from here. Maybe he signs the deal because he feels like he's backed up against the wall, but I don't think they're too happy with David Mulligetta right now. It's very possible. And there's so many ripple effects and so many angles in which to look at this thing. Allegations, and I don't mean to, it's not like brush them aside, but that's a different thing than what I'm going to bring up. I mean, quite honestly, if you were the Cleveland Browns, how bad did you want to get off of Baker Mayfield to make this move? I mean, that, that, that screams volumes in itself. Uh, based on the player, all the stuff that comes with that player, the guaranteed money 
that you wanted to pay for the entirety of the deal, et cetera. Um, that, that speaks a lot of volumes and, uh, you know, again, there's just a lot, a lot with this and I don't know how, I don't know how players would perceive this as well with his representation from the other side of the table. Right, John? I mean, there's, there's, there are players where, yeah, I mean, they may want the, the, you know, they may look at that and say, Hey man, this whole thing was kind of icky. And then there's also the, the money aspect, right? So there's just a a lot of ripple effects and, and things and, the player angle is something that I think about. And obviously we have yet to hear what's going on with Baker Mayfield, but um, taking on what comes with that acquisition financially and everything uh, that's just, uh, it says a lot about the team and it says a lot about their stance with their former starting quarterback. So the whole thing with that was, I think it was reported that they were only going to look at like the clear and obvious upgrades over Baker Mayfield and on the field, Deshaun Watson is a clear and obvious upgrade over Baker Mayfield. But if it wasn't Deshaun Watson, the only other option would have been, I guess, Russell Wilson. And he was already reportedly traded for by the Broncos, like well before the combine even began. So it was, it had to be Watson or nothing. And that's why as soon as they were out of the running, they made the statement that, you know, oh, we want Baker Mayfield as our quarterback. We, we actually do think that he's an adult, you know, they're trying to mend whatever bridge they could with that. And then once they got back into it, bye bye Baker, and we're going to trade you if we if we possibly can. And it looks like they're not even going to be able to because Baker Mayfield just tanked his entire draft stock by trying to play through a torn labrum or whatever his shoulder injury was. The the player aspect is interesting though because I mean Mulligetta, like I I think his agency is like Players First or something like that, whatever the the title is. I'm sure the players love it because he just got a quarterback 230 million, just not not a quarterback. That that is a NBA Supermax contract to an NFL player. It's never it's never been done before. It's never happened before. That's the baseline for whatever Justin Herbert's going to make, whatever Joe Burrow is going to make from the Bengals for any quarterback who's up for a next deal. Like that is the new standard. He changed the game. So he's pounding his chest thinking I'm the best agent alive. Like I just did this. You, you He did it because Watson had all the leverage in the situation. It wasn't just the Browns who ran on him. It wasn't just the four teams who ran on him. I think it was reported that 13 other 13 teams in total, so nine other teams were trying to get Deshaun Watson, and he only wanted to go to at most four. So there are a lot of other teams, aside from the Browns, who are not clean on this. And I guess there's honestly kind of an argument to me. Like, if you sold, if you tried to sell your soul for Deshaun Watson and you didn't end up with him, it almost looks a little bit worse. Like, look at the Falcons and how they tarnished that relationship with Matt Ryan, and they had to dump him for a third-round pick because he didn't want to be anymore. Like, did the Falcons look even worse compared to the Browns in this situation because they didn't even get anything out of it? Well, yeah. And I guess I would say, especially for who and what Matt Ryan has meant to that franchise, right? Uh, I mean, that, that I think that in itself is just another uh, – and, and you, you know that he's his career is winding down and he's had a great career. But, um, yeah, I mean, when you, when you handle a situation like that, it just – and you knew any team that would be in on this, if they already had an entrenched starter of some kind, there would be, uh, you know, aside from a, the, the the rightful PR disaster that comes with it, with acquiring that player. It's also the fallout of potentially a former number one pick Baker Mayfield, if a, a former franchise mainstay, Matt Ryan, right. I mean, that just, and you know, it, it's a little bit of a shame that what, what happened with Matt Ryan on that front, 
but he has gone to Indianapolis now and hopefully he gets a fresh start. Maybe he gets rejuvenated there. I don't know, but um, that's, that's a good point you bring up. Yeah. And obviously just the player side and then the ownership side and very rarely do these two tend to see eye to eye. Obviously player empowerment is great. You know, players are getting actual money. And if this is the unfortunate step that it, it has to have in order to take that, then so be it. But I, like, I, I do think that other NFL teams talk and, Maybe they don't want to work with Mulligan if this is the way that he does business, and he just want it, like his whole his whole mission is just to get his clients money. Like that is the name of the game for that in- industry, and it's very callous and it's very heartless at times. But that just kind of is what it is. But there's a reason why the whole L. Collins thing, the fact that Peter Schaefer was his agent, there's a reason why that was significant because there's a relationship between Schaefer yep. and the Bengals, and that was one of the reasons why we expected it to get done. I don't think that this necessarily enhances the relationship between the Bengals and Molagetta. And if I'm Jesse Bates, like I'm, I'm either taking that deal or I'm, I'm playing on the tag because there's no way that I'm getting what I want at, at least by the July 15th deadline. That's a very good point. And socks in the live YouTube chat with the very generous super chat, that salary middle, middle finger Watson's agent sent to the NFL may cost him a few more games in his possible suspension. Just my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a good point there. I think this is going to be a, a long, drawn out and um you know it's it's a difficult situation for a lot of people to to process uh and that's to say the least regardless i mean when he plays there seems to be uh at least from an on the field perspective seems to be a uh, a handful of talented quarterbacks that will be uh, in the AFC North, we'll have to see what the, there's talk of Baker going to Pittsburgh if <laughs> if it's a, if a, if a, if they end up releasing him, that would be just like, wow. Um, so uh, yeah, difficult situation. And, um, you know, I think everybody, not only just the fact of what he was dealt for, the fact that the Browns got him and the fact that they fully guaranteed that contract, I think everybody was like, you know, falling out of their seat on that one. Because like that kind of deal, I, I think it's it's more shocking because it's, it's him getting it. Yeah. And the fact right. that, if none of this happened, like who knows if he even has that leverage? Like he, I don't know the whole ins and outs of why he wanted to force his way out, out of Houston. I don't know if he, if he knew that all these allegations were, were going to come out when that happened, but it's, it's crazy how like he's the guy that, that made this deal happen. And I, I guess his agent matters in this as well. And maybe he doesn't get that deal if his agency is, is different, but like he changed the game and the whole thing is just, it, it doesn't leave a good taste in your mouth. It doesn't. It doesn't. And it's a very good point. This is a lot of things are a, especially even in sport, it's a relationship business, right? That's why coaches bring in players in which they are familiar and teams deal with agents with which they are familiar. I mean, it's just, that's kind of the the nature of the game and they know how, you know, we had, we had Lee Steinberg on one of the the mega agents uh, around Super Bowl. I think it was after the Bengals big win, against the Chiefs in the regular season. It was right after that because I, I remember you gave him a little Mahomes jab because he <laughs> represents Mahomes. Um, and, and, you know, he had – he doesn't all the time deal with the Bengals, but he had all, he had some dealings with the Bengals and there was a relationship there. And that kind of speaks volumes to what you're talking about, wherein these these people know each other. They talk and they know how they, know how they want to structure certain deals. They inform their players on that. And, and this situation is – it's pretty inexplicable pretty much so yeah th- this is not only something to think about with Bates uh, T Higgins comes up 
in about a year and maybe maybe the brown family's you know whole feelings on the situation kind of it, it calms down at that point and maybe like this is honestly just a lot of projection on my part this is why it's a conspiracy it's a, it's a normal case but i don't know it's just something that I, that I thought about like in terms of jesse bates i like we all kind of assume that that bridge or that 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 time probably passed by the time that the tag was put down and there's still a possibility but this is just this is a curveball that affects not only quarterbacks it affects everybody in the nfl and it's it's forever going to be changed yeah uh just you mentioned i think you mentioned t higgins a second ago can Bengals offer t higgins a contract extension now no has to be uh um after next year right yes after or after this yeah uh, so can't, can't, they can't offer him now, offer him Christian Kirk's contract. Oh boy. Christian Kirk's contract. <laughs> Don't even get me going on that one. Uh, all right, let's, let's get on to another topic here. Uh, we want to kind of take a little inventory as to what the Bengals opponents have been doing so far, because this has been, we teased it at the beginning, John, this has been one of the craziest free agency, uh, periods ever um, in terms of t- teams getting rid of a quality player, another team picking them up, mega trades. We just talked about the Deshaun Watson situation, all of that. This has been a crazy free agency period. Now I want to remind folks, here's the 22 opponents list. Uh, of course, they've got each of the AFC North opponents at home. Um, you've got the uh, Buffalo Bills at home, Miami Dolphins at home, Atlanta Falcons. So, I mean, you've got the AFC North, of course, and two games apiece there. You have the AFC East, you have the NFC South, uh, and then a couple of others in there. You've got like uh, the Titans and Dallas and the Chiefs, right? I think I covered the bases there in yes. terms of others. So um, that covers the the, the, the team's schedule, and this is on cincyjungle.com, and it's also on, on other great sites. I'll pin this in the live chat for folks. But I want to I talk about this because even today, there has been a number, and today being Wednesday when, we, uh, when we've talked here, um, the Cincinnati Bengals have made – or I'm sorry, the, the teams here have made a number of moves. Now – I'm kind of going to spit fire a little bit. Where do you want to start, John? Do you want to start? We'll just kind of say how things have changed potentially perception-wise um, in these games, and we'll kind of go division by division. So where do you want to start here on this one? Well, yeah, let's just start with, with this division, the AFC North. Okay. So the Steelers, essentially, um, Trubisky's in there and James Daniels. Those have been kind of their higher-profile uh, signings at this point. Obviously, you would, they've been – in really, really involved in the quarterback pro days and whatnot. Pickett and Malik Willis, um, you know, those are guys that they've been in, in personal. I think Tomlin was in personal attendance for. Uh, so at this point, when you look at the Steelers, who made an improbable playoff run last year, the Bengals swept them and swept them dramatically. Do you see them as any further threat, even with a potential rookie quarterback or something, or maybe a Baker Mayfield coming in here? It's like, how bad do you think Ben Roethlisberger is compared to whatever Mitchell <laughs> Trubisky is now? Like, I know, I know Trubisky does shouldn't strike fear in the hearts of anybody, but like Roethlisberger was absolutely terrible, and they still ended up winning nine games. This is Mike Tomlin's ego just working again. Like, he believes that he can make the playoffs with a quarterback that everyone is casting to the side. And I mean, it's not it's not for me to say that he's a madman because he's never had a losing season, but. 
Like, I, I don't know what Trubisky is right now. I, I don't think that he's particularly great, but it's not like that that roster is absolutely terrible. They got better out offensive line a little bit, but I mean, they're still probably clearly the fourth best team in the division right now. Absolutely. The Baltimore Ravens, they uh, made the acquisition of the safety Williams from the Saints. And uh, I'm trying to think of a couple of others. They lost Morgan out Moses. on, yeah, um, that's right, Morgan Moses. And uh, they lost out on Zadarius Smith, a guy that they would have liked to have brought back. And that would have been a perfect scheme fit for them. Did not work out. So, uh, you know, taking inventory of the Ravens here, again, a team the Bengals swept big time last year. Uh, how do you feel about what they've done? The safety acquisition is a big one. Uh, Moses helps them too, but um, I don't know. Are you are you seeing a vastly improved Ravens team at this point? Yeah, I think they still need work at cornerback. Like Marcus Peters is coming off of, of an injury. Like Marlon Humphrey can't guard Jamar Chase. They still need some maybe some youth there, but Marcus Williams definitely helps. They they typically have a good free safety, and they haven't had one in a couple of years. Morgan Moses solidifies the offensive line for the most part. Mm-hmm. They're just naturally going to get better because they were so depleted last year. And I mean, Lamar didn't even play the second time that the Bengals played. So they're going to be better. They're going to be competing for that title. And rightfully so. They're a good team. Yep. Uh, we talked about, I, I agree with you, by the way. I didn't mean to just be short and say, yep. Uh, <laughs> I have an agreement with you on that one. The The Cleveland Browns. Now, the what we just talked about, conceivably, the Deshaun Watson thing is from an on-field performance perspective, that's a, to me, that's a beyond 22 type of type of yeah. acquisition because of the, what would seem to be an impending suspension of some kind coming up here. So I don't know that there's big plans immediately for the Browns in terms of wins and losses with Watson being in the fold. They also, they took on Amari Cooper, and uh, Jarvis Landry's no longer with them either. So, I mean, it's kind of they, they they got a quarterback and treaded water at wide receiver and that sort of thing. So, I don't I don't know. I to me, I think for the for the next year, um, I, because of the Watson suspension that that I think we're assuming is coming, I, I would assume that immediately this is not going to be a threat within the division. Right. At least six games you can count on Deshaun Watson, which you can say what you want about that, but that's typically like the standard for something like this. And you want to talk about long term, like even if they cut him in 2026, they would owe him $55 million against the cap, which would be at that point the largest dead cap hit in history. I guess it's possible because the Falcons just took a 40 million 40. dead cap hit. Matt Ryan. <laughs> but yeah, he is he's there to stay. He's there to stay throughout his 20s. And yeah, they're going to be decent for as long as Watson is there. and He's going to be there for five years. But this year. I, I don't foresee them competing for the title if he's out for almost half the year. Yeah. All right, let's transition to the AFC East. The Buffalo Bills, who made it to the divisional round and lost in dramatic fashion to the Chiefs, have done some work. Uh, they grabbed O.J. Howard, Vaughn Miller. Uh, I'm missing – I'm forgetting a tight end. I think they uh, brought in uh, the one that the Bengals were interested in from the from the Vikings. His name escapes me at the moment. Yes, Conklin. Thank you. Um, and you know they've they've done some things that uh, have improved their their football team. Uh, what do you what do you feel about the Bills? I mean, I think their 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 stance, and a lot of people love the Von Miller acquisition. Uh, I think that they have, uh, you know, I mean, they've already had a really good roster, but I th- I think they've improved. Yeah, I think as long as Allen is there, they're going to be favorites among the favorites to win 
the entire conference. Like, I don't think they necessarily got worse. They may have not gotten a lot better. I think Conklin also went to the Jets, so I think he. Went oh, maybe. Through. Oh, man, that's right. It's yeah. Con- Conklin did go to the Jets with Uzama. That's right. I was mixed up yeah. there. Yeah, but they, but they did get OJ Howard to um, play with uh, Dawson Knox. They lost Cole Beasley, and they got I want to. Jameson Crowder, I feel like. So yep. I feel like it's a lot of just marginal re- replacements upon guys leaving. And they're already a really good team. So they should be the favorites to win that division. And they, they I'm looking at the screen. Yeah, they, they do come to Paul, Paul Brown Stadium. So it's a potential primetime game. And they're going to be really good again. So let's talk about the Jets in that AFC East. The Jets, the Bengals go to New York again. Uh, this year, hopefully that's not the same result as last year, but they did grab CJ Uzama, uh, Conklin, like you said, they lost Morgan Moses. Um, they're, they're getting back Mikai Becton, their left tackle, uh, from injury. So what are you thinking about the jets? They did lose out today on the Tyreek Hill sweepstakes as well. So what are you thinking about the jets right now? You know, I had a friend who is buying low on Zach Wilson, making the leap and the only other similar leap that we've ever seen for a guy who's that inaccurate in his rookie years like Josh Allen. So hmm. it's it's possible. It's not likely, but I'm not completely counting it out because I kind of think the Jets have a decent roster around him. I think they have stability at at the coaching staff. I think I think Sala is a good coach and he's got a good staff around him and I think they have a good offensive line. Even without Tyree Kill, they don't have the worst receiving core. They still need help at cornerback and they could get my guy Sauce Gardner in the draft to solve some of those problems, but I don't think they're necessarily a terrible team. It's just like the stigma attached with the Jets. You always think they're they're going to blow it or, or they're going to be bad, but it really does come down to Wilson taking that step, and we haven't seen a lot of quarterbacks who are that bad as a rookie make that progression even just in year two, so it may not have come this year, but I think they're on the right track, and they're stealing all the most popular Bengals in free agency, so maybe next year that's something we have to look out for. Yeah, yeah. Uh the New England Patriots, they have seemingly just, uh, you know, I, I was struggling to kind of say, you know, what have they done to really move the needle? Earlier today, I heard an interview with Eric Mangini, who used to be with Bill Belichick in New England, and he was kind of saying some things about like, well, I mean, it, it's New England, but, you know, what are they what are they, what are they doing a little bit here? So I don't know. I mean, how are you feeling about the Patriots coming off the, 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 the playoff run where they got shellacked by the Bills? Um, Mac Jones making a leap in year two, etc. So I guess on average, five teams who make the playoffs one year do not make the playoffs the next. Kind of seems like the Patriots are one of the easiest choices out of the teams who did make the playoffs, and they yeah. got destroyed by the Bills in the playoffs anyways. They just haven't done anything. And it's all up to Mac Jones, again, making that leap. And I think it's possible because I think Jones is a slightly better quarterback than I ever gave him credit for. But you just look at the rest of the conference. Like, that... That is when the entire AFC bloodbath or AFC arms race matters is when you don't have a quarterback that can compete with the others and throwing three times in a game in Buffalo like that kind of tells you all you need to know about Mac Jones right now, unless he develops into something completely unforeseen kind of seems like they're just left in irrelevancy right now. And here's the team that's arguably made the biggest leap or one of the biggest leaps in free agency. You could actually put the Bengals in that a little bit based on their offensive line and their biggest needs. But the Miami Dolphins, uh, Taron Armstead, right? They just acquired Tyree Kill in a trade. Uh, Did Connor Williams go there? Uh, Is that where he went as well? So their offensive line, by the way, was not 
immune to the similar type of criticism that the Bengals was. And they uh, have made some significant moves. They have Hill now with Waddle. Uh, the question, ironically, is at quarterback. Tua and Teddy. That's that's Those are the quarterbacks there. I, I, how are you feeling about the Dolphins and what, what they have done with their team in, th- in free agency? It is all on Tua at this point because yep. you're right. The offensive line has been terrible, and they haven't done enough to solve it up until this point, and they never really got the same criticisms that the Bengals got for not protecting Joe Burrow. But, like, at this point, it, it's Tua or bust. Like, they, they didn't sign Teddy to a decent deal by accident. They have legitimate questions with Tua. But it's interesting because both of those guys have similar arms, and they just went out and got the best deep threat, vertical threat in the NFL. Like, it's, <laughs> it, it, even with Jalen Waddle too. Like, Jalen Waddle was this amazing vertical threat out of Alabama, and they yeah. turned him into a screen man because that's all that Tua could do as a quarterback. So it kind of seems like it, it's it's a mismatch of weapons and quarterbacks. And like, I, I don't think that the Hill trade or acquisition means a lot if if that quarterback, if either quarterback, can't take advantage of him or can't can't show some significant development really yeah. i mean and i think at this point teddy is who he is it's more about who's tua right i mean that's that's kind of the thing all right let's go nfc south the atlanta falcons that just seems as we discussed a little bit like a dumpster fire i think they replaced matt ryan with marcus Mariota. Yep. Uh, if i if i saw that and that just seems like a team that is hell-bent on a rebuild here maybe they're going to draft another quarterback as well but i, I don't see that as anything that's really going to be a threat to the Bengals unless we're talking about a Jets-like letdown last year. Do not, I repeat, do not look at the Falcons roster. It is abysmal. <laughs> it, it is actually, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's USFL quality. Like mm. they have some names at offensive line, Grady, Jared, and AJ Terrell. That's it. Like this time last year, you're wondering, are they going to add Kyle Pitts to Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley with Matt Ryan yeah. in the last three years of his deal? It's 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 over. Like nothing is left there. Like Corderell Patterson is getting like 40 touches at running back and receiver next year. And Kyle Pitts is going to have 2,000 yards um, on a passing offense that has 2,500 passing yards in total. Like it's it's depressing. Like I don't think Mariota is like terrible. He has a relationship with Arthur Smith, but they're two years into that rebuild and they passed on a quarterback last year and it's looking like it's going to bite them in the butt. Yep. A couple more to go here. Carolina Panthers. Uh, and that one is at home. I'd be a, maybe a, a tiny bit worried about that uh, in an away venue. But how are you feeling about what Carolina has done, John? Man, freaking Tom Brady. Like he, he, he sees the Falcons imploding. He's, like, he sees the Saints having issues with quarterback. And then the Panthers. It's like, oh, the Panthers have the worst NFC roster. The Falcons like hold my beer. Like the Panthers aren't necessarily any better. <laughs> Like, who do they have? Like, they're trying to trade Christian McCaffrey. They're restructuring his deal because they gave him way too much money. I don't think they're, like, terrible, but they don't have a quarterback. It's it's Sam Darnold. Like, it's Matt Rule fumbling over his own words, justifying that trade, like, a, a few few weeks ago and whatnot. They, they tried to get Watson, and they failed, and now they're looking at Kenny Pickett. Like, even if they have a rookie there, there's, there's just not enough for them to do anything. Agreed. Saints a little bit in the quarterback quandary as well, right? I mean, they, um, what are they going to do there? Uh, they, they were in the Watson sweepstakes. I think they kind of pushed the chips into the table there, but lost out. Uh, they lost the safety. Williams, as I mentioned, to Baltimore. So they're in a little bit of hurt, it would seem. So they did sign Jameis uh, to a two-year deal. Right. Yeah, but I think he's still, reco- I mean, still recovering from the ACL, but I, I suppose they assume – 
that he's going to make it back in time. And yeah, like the, the Saints still have a decent team. Like they, they've managed to keep it together. They managed to keep kicking the can down the road because they can with their cap manipulation. It's kind of an older defense, but I mean, that's clearly the second best team in the NFC South and they can compete with Jameis. It's just a matter of like how weak is the NFC actually going to be. And that that's the road game for the Bengals. Like that had a lot of excitement with it, with the, with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase potentially returning yeah. to the Superdome. But man, I would be really disappointed. There's rumblings about that game going to London. I, I would be really disappointed. That ends up being a London game. Right, right. That one specifically, not of course the Bengals going to London, just right. that one specifically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the Jameis thing is, is uh, it, it's just how many turnovers is he going to commit and uh, <laughs> all kinds of different things. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, seems, seems relatively winnable. And of course their big, their big loss is uh, Peyton, Sean Peyton. Right. Uh, he, so that's, that's always been kind of the glue of that team as well. And then of course you got Tampa, um, Tampa brings back Brady on somewhat unexpectedly. They bring back Jensen. They lose Kappa to the Bengals. How you how you feeling? Um, I, I don't know that there's been an official Gronk reunion yet. I don't think I've seen Not that. Yet. So yeah, so uh, you know, there's been some rumors about that. But other than that, um, I, Tampa seems they'll be good with Brady. I, I mean, that's just a foregone conclusion. But how good with some of the personnel losses and or questions is is the real question. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't think they lost a ton of guys. I think they managed to bring everybody back. Yeah, and... Fournette's resigned. Yeah. Um, did, did he resign? I thought he signed someplace else. I thought Fournette resigned. If I he, he signed a three year deal, um, but I, I mean, we know that Chris Godwin resigned for relatively cheap because he was injured. Carlton Davis resigned for maybe under his market value. Same thing with Ryan Jensen. It's just, oh, Brady's coming back. Let's kind of run it back as best as we can. So they're, they're still going to be good. And that's still going to be tough. Yeah, it's looking like, uh, yeah, he came back just okay. uh, earlier today. Fournette did. Um, I think the Patriots were maybe in the mix there or something that, like that's that. What I, but that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think I think he came back there. Uh, and then let's uh, just move on to some of the others, and and we'll speed this up just for the sake of time. I, really, I mean the ten, the Titans. I haven't seen them in looking at their roster. They lost Saffold, etc. I didn't see anything that really moved the needle for me, free agency wise. Um, at least not this showing. Uh, it's coming off the top of my head here. So going there, really, it's just more of the revenge situation going to Tennessee type of thing. Right. And again, I think it's similar to the Patriots. Like Ryan Tannehill, it's not the worst quarterback in the world, but in this new AFC climate, it's kind of looking like you're not going to necessarily go for it. You're certainly not going to get the number one seed again with however they overcame everything that happened with that. So I mean, it, it, the defense is still going to be tough. They're often, the Bengals offense line is better equipped to handle that pass rush and the pass rush hasn't really gotten any worse. They paid Harold Landry, but again, they haven't really added anything to that team. So it could be in line for some regression. And then they have some competition with the Colts now in that division. Nor have the Dallas Cowboys, which is a road game and would provide a fun road experience. I would think for Bengals fans, if they wanted to go to that, the Dallas Cowboys at best have treaded water. They lost Amari Cooper. They lost Lael Collins. And they had better crush the draft, it would seem. You know, I mean, they kept Michael Gallup and Leighton Vander Esch, I think, and whatnot. But nothing that really screams typical Cowboys big-ticket free agency stuff. This is why the cap is real. Like, if you don't manipulate it like the Saints and some other teams do, 
you end up with an offseason like Dallas by paying the wrong guy a ton of money that you can't get out of. Not really a unique state your uh, excuse me state your conspiracy, but kind of seems like they're just putting it all on McCarthy so they can hire Sean Payton next year. Right, right. <laughs> it, it could be very well the case on that one. And then we'll end with this one: a home contest against the Chiefs. And what makes this interesting is not only just the two games last year, of course, but the loss of Tyreek Hill. Um, they still have a pretty good offensive line, as you mentioned, and. Um, you know, they've got Kelsey, they've got other weapons, but but Hill just brings that dimension where he commands attention, even if the ball is not in his hands. And the Cincinnati Bengals may, uh, depending on what Kansas City does here, um, that game may have gotten just a little bit easier without Tyreek Hill on the team. Did the Bengals break the Chiefs, man? Like, that's been going around, but it's, it's hard to... Did they break the yeah. AFC? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, based on everything going on. I mean, it's... Tyreek Hill may have not have played in that first game. He barely did anything. Um, Eli, or excuse me, Chidabay Wuzi put the clamps on him. But you're right. Like the fact that he is out there, it, it creates space for a lot of other guys, and that's a dimension that is just impossible to replace. The Bengals thought they could get something similar with John Ross, and obviously that didn't work out. But that's that's the goal, right? To have that type of an uber athlete that can stretch the field and command attention, and then you have Travis Kelsey getting one on ones all over the place. It's it's Kelsey. It's McCole Hardman. It could be Marquise uh, Valdez-Scandling. It's Corey Coleman coming back from the dead. Like, Pat Mahomes is great, but this is going to be really challenging to see. I think Josh, how, is Josh Gordon there? He is He is there, but yeah, who knows yeah. how you can rely on him at this point. Right. So, like, again, Mahomes is phenomenal. He's one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen. But with without Tyreek now, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that. Yeah. Well, hey, if you have been in the retail business, if you have been in – the hospitality or restaurant business inventory maybe isn't the most fun thing, but it is incredibly important. And we decided to take inventory of the Bengals' opponents based on what they have or have not done so far this free agency period. There have been some massive improvements by some of the teams on their schedule, treading water or maybe even regression from some of the others on their on their schedule. And of course, the Bengals seemingly have made a number of moves that you would think really have improved key areas of their football team. I'm going to use, we're going to get on out of here. We're going to drop the mic, but I'm going to do a drop the mic slash remember when, John, and I will kick it off with a remember when. We've been feeling these good vibes with free agency with the Bengals. And there were times uh, that the Bengals were in the sweepstakes for a couple of different huge defensive tackles in the Marvin Lewis era. And one was with the the Detroit lions and the other, believe it or not, was Warren Sapp. And remember when Warren Sapp was almost a bangle and the then Oakland Raiders came in the middle of the night and stole him from the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm going to pin a couple of old articles here, here, uh, on, on the show. This is from uh, ESPN years ago in 2004. Sapp says he didn't feel good about the Bengals deal, um, you know, talking about all these different things. Um, and he just said it was real close with Cincinnati. It was just one of those deals I didn't feel good about. I woke up the next morning and Al Davis was on the line. I always admired him from afar. His style speaks for himself. His He's smooth as all outdoors. On top of that, John, here is a really old article from 
Cincy Jungle talking <laughs> about this story, um, not back then, but kind of reiterating kind of a little bit of a remember when. Sap shared a story. Um, when Sap left Tampa Bay in 2004, it, as if he, it looked as if he was going to be joining the Bengals. After Sap had decided to accept the offer, Mike Brown ended up pulling it because he thought the team was bidding against themselves. Quote, I accepted the offer, and when he called back, they had taken the offer off the table. Sapp said Friday, quote, I went to a heat game, woke up the next morning, and Al Davis was on the line. We went from there. Um, the Bengals essentially said they thought they were bidding against themselves. I remember a quote, though, John, that Warren Sapp said on Sundays, quote, the Bengals are an afterthought. That I was tr- struggling to find that, as uh, quote, cited as a source, but I somehow that is ingrained in my brain. And now what a difference it makes when Joe Burrow is – Coming up, by the way, how many themed parties of crackers and cupcakes are we going to have going <laughs> forward here? <laughs> um, but you have that, and the Bengals are netting big-ticket free agents. Even if they're not tier A+, plus, they are tier A-B minus players that are significantly going to help their football team. But remember when Warren Sapp was almost a Bengal? It's funny because Sapp was 32 that season, and he was coming off his, what, like 7th or 8th Pro Bowl season he never made a Pro Bowl after that. He had one 10-sack year in the four years that he was with the Raiders, but he just wasn't the same guy that he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that was a really good defensive tackle. But twenty some, or almost 20 years later, Warren Sapp is like the exact opposite free agent that the Bengals go after now. Like That was his second or third contract. He was already in his 30s. His best days were behind him. You know, it, it, it's a... It, it is a useful story, and it involves, I think, a lot of bad memories for Bengals fans. But I wouldn't say that the Bengals necessarily got burnt there. They weren't probably no. going to get the most out of Warren Sapp. That, that contract is unique, too, from like the the sense of what we see contracts now. Those was a seven-year, $36 million deal with the Raiders. And he only saw four years out of it. So Yeah, and he underachieved there largely. But Dave Fraley in the live Facebook chat, how about Sue? I don't know if we're talking about the Bengals and Sue. I don't necessarily remember that. I remember the Bengals and Gerald McCoy a couple yeah. of years ago. That was that was a thing. Um, but anyway, fun one for remember when slash drop the mic for me. Remember when Warren Sapp was almost a Bengal back in 2004. <laughs> my my mic drop, very short and, and simple. Rest in peace to John Clayton, man. It, yeah. It sucks that we got, got more of these um, esteemed NFL writers and columnists and, and great members of – the NFL community passing away, uh, not not very old, but he was apparently kind of getting a little bit sick, um, and unfortunately he ended up passing. I believe like last week, you know, everyone remembers the the, the commercial of him uh, <laughs> unveiling his ponytail and and listening to Slayer in his yeah. bedroom. <laughs> but I mean, you know, just memories of watching him on Sports Center growing up and always having the great insight on the NFL and just knowing a ton about the game. And then he left ESPN, I think, to work with like Seattle Radio or something like that. So we haven't, we haven't really heard a lot from him in recent years, but uh, it was very sad to, to see him pass away. So rest in peace. I have a friend I was hanging out with a little bit this last weekend, and he is from Seattle or Tacoma, rather. And uh, he, you know, when that news hit, he was like, wow, you know, he was pretty bummed out. He's a Seattle mainstay, obviously, and a guy that meant a lot to the NFL. So big bummer, uh, kind of a shocker, just said battled a brief illness, I think, is what was relayed there. And big bummer. Pretty much, man. Um, Yeah, that's all I got. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning into the live show. Thanks for your patience on the front end with it. 
We hope that you still enjoyed the show regardless. And if you did, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. The icon is underneath the SB Nation logo there under John. Click that and the subscribe button and hit the bell to be notified when new content is available, when we go live. And of course, as I mentioned, go subscribe to the Cincy Jungle podcast channel on your favorite audio stream. Have a good week, everybody. We'll be bringing you a lot more content and we will see you soon. <music>